Welcome to the Nijah Chuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamens. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we continue our discussion on Grandmaster Yin Fu. Uh, we talk about Yin Fu's Bagua Zhang, his time in the palace as a guard, uh, and his role in the uh, Boxer Rebellion. Then we look at uh, his son's book, Yin Yu Zhang's book, on the practice of Bagua Zhang, and we discuss some pointers he gives on advice for practice and martial arts. This week in our Patreon, we continue our discussion on the spiraling energy body Nagong. This week we talk about how to make the spirals and what they're for. So give that a listen. Uh, thanks for your support. Thanks for listening, and take care. Welcome to the Neja Chun Podcast with Isaac and Jess. We're continuing to look at the life of Bagua Master Yin Fu and his teaching in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So where we left off, Yin Fu's master, Dong Hai Chuan, had passed away. And uh, now it was up to the students of Dong to continue the uh, Bagua Zhang school. Dong Hai Chuan dies in 1882. So at that point, Yin Fu's been learning from him maybe six or more years. Yin Fu lived and taught Bagua Zhang in the Eastern City District. In addition to teaching Bagua Zhang to the palace and to private students, Yin also worked as a resident guard and bodyguard, protecting the rich people in their homes in Beijing. Yin had a strong reputation in Beijing, and it is said that the residents of the homes Yin protected never had any problems with intruders. When the local criminals heard that Yin was protecting a particular house, they steered clear of it. Because of his reputation, a number of the wealthy people in Beijing desired Yin's services. Since he could not be at many places at one time, Yin employed his students to stand duty at the homes and he would make the rounds to check on them. In addition to employing the students he already had trained, Yin also employed outsiders and taught them Baguazhang so they could better perform their job. So it sounds like the reputation of Bagua as a martial art for bodyguards and home protectors and caravan guards is continuing here with Yin Fu and his students making a name for themselves as a bodyguards in Beijing. Yeah, I think it was kind of the like premier way to get your name out there and make a sort of a reputation for yourself and make some money while you're at it. Right. I mean, there's no police, so people need somebody to do that stuff. Right, right, right. These guys, a lot of the big Bagua teachers were known for running bodyguard schools. I mean, bodyguard companies, I guess you could say. Um, another thing it says here, in addition to his bodyguard business, Yin was also hired by the government as a tax officer. His job was to locate individuals who were delinquent on their taxes and make them pay. Um, so there's this business of collecting taxes. That sounds like in the 1800s, collecting taxes might have been a little more rough and tumble than today's uh, sending a check to the government or whatever, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think, I mean, the implied there is that people weren't always willing to pay and that mm. you had to it twist some arms. Yeah. And he was good at it. So local governments would hire him to go bring in the cash. So that's uh that says a lot about Yun Fu's uh well, That also, you know, with the rep the reputation thing, you know, if you get sort of known as a bruiser, then people are right. less likely to want I mean, it. If you're effective, those they want that tax money, that's for sure. So you can get yeah. it. You got steady work. And so then we come to the most famous part of Yin Fu's history. 
During the Boxer Rebellion in 1900, Yin Fu was hired as the head bodyguard for the Empress Dowager and the Guangxu Emperor when they were being taken out of the Forbidden City. After things settled down in Beijing and they returned, Yin was hired by the Imperial Court to teach martial arts to the eunuchs. Um, so this is a story we've touched on previously in other episodes of the uh, of the story of Bagua, but uh, it's a pretty big deal. Like in the year 1900, the eight allied armies, including most of the Western powers, including the USA, attacked China, overran Beijing, and, and pretty much in the process, the, the imperial city got wrecked and the forbidden city got all wrecked. And, um, and the, the empress herself had to flee from Beijing and her top bodyguard to lead her in this expedition to escape from the Westerners. That was Yin Fu himself. And that's the that's kind of the biggest historical moment in Bagua history, because that really cements your place in martial arts groups. Like if the empress herself chooses your martial art to be during times of need, that's pretty damn big. Yeah, you get a lot of respect for that. Okay, so here's the story. So we'll take a take the story of Yin Fu's actions during the Boxer Rebellion from Whirling Circles of Bagua Zhang by Frank Allen and Tina Zhang from uh, 2007. Thin Yin did not intend to participate in the Boxer Rebellion, but his lack of intention evaporated when he received a summons to the palace. Upon arriving, Yin Fu was asked if his security agency would protect the Empress Dowager as she made her escape from the capital. This was the most dangerous position of the campaign, but it was an offer that Yin Fu could not refuse. The Empress Dowager had been a patron of the Boxers, but had withdrawn her support under pressure from the foreign powers. Now she was despised by one group and hated by the other. Leaders of both groups felt that their cause would be better off when the Empress Dowager was underground. Being her bodyguard was the last position in the capital that anyone wanted, but she was still the Empress, a person that people did not say no to. With the help of his students, Yin Fu safely escorted the Empress Dowager to another palace. It was an act that would bring him undying fame. So as with most famous martial arts masters, there are many anecdotes about Yin Fu winning fights against challengers. One such story talks of Yin's confrontation with a cobbler in Beijing who was especially good at leg skills. Every day he would practice his kicking through a large tree against a large tree. Eventually he kicked a hole all the way through the tree. His feet were very hard and tough. There was a story about the cobbler kicking a very thick wooden door and doorstop and breaking it in half. When the cobbler heard that Yin was also known for his great leg skill, he wanted to have a challenge match. Yin accepted and the two tested each other's skills. Yin stood calmly in front of the cobbler without moving. The cobbler launched a powerful kick towards the shin of Yin's forward leg. Yin remained stationary until the cobbler's foot came within an inch of his leg, and then he quickly drew his leg black, back out of reach of the cobbler's kick. At that instant, the cobbler started to pull back his leg. Yin hooked the leg and provided resistance to his motion. When the cobbler tried to pull himself free, Yin released the leg, and he went flying over. It is said that Yin had tremendous skill and sensitivity with his legs. He was known for his ability to lock, trap, sweep, stick, follow, guide, and off-balance the opponent's legs with great ease. Yeah, well, that's one of those characteristic things of Baga right there is you know, using the, the hook step to trap somebody's foot when they... So the Kobu oh. hook step is yeah. a great, yeah. great hook. That's great. That's a classic right there. Right? And so, yeah, there you go. Like, there's one of those Bagua things of, of having really quick uh sensitivity in the legs too not necessarily you know the kicking trees till they become super hard he beats the guy who's a tree kicker right, he uses right. this leg connectivity and sensitivity and i think it's same with bagua arm training there is 
especially in the gal style that I did, there's a bunch of exercises for like lifting, you're doing leg lifts and leg circles and stuff that are really painful, but they're meant to make your leg really flexible, like your arms. And ideally in Bagua, you want leg flexibility to be really good and while, while maintaining firmness. It is basically Bagua's thing that gives it a leg, no pun intended, a leg, <laughs> a leg up when you do it is that your ability to keep your feet moving and not mm-hmm. get stuck. And go and when you're fighting high up and punch, trading punches, you can use those hooks and sweeps and leg kicks and knee butts against someone else's legs. You can really uh, take advantage of that. All right, so the next fight. In Beijing, there was a strong and ferocious wrestler. He loved to bully people. And thus, those who knew Yin Fu wanted Yin to punish him. When Yin and the wrestler met, the wrestler was shocked to see that such a thin man had a big reputation as a martial artist. Thinking that he would have an easy time with Yin, he immediately walked up and grabbed Yin's arm to throw him. Yin was well known for his iron bracelet skill. He was able to apply bone-crushing force when grabbing an opponent with his two fingers. He utilized the skill in defeating the wrestler. When the wrestler grabbed him, Yin in turn grabbed the wrestler with his thumb and index finger and applied such force that the wrestler screamed in pain. The wrestler immediately knelt down and asked to become a student. However, there was another wrestler who was a, who was a follower of that guy who was very arrogant in front of Yin's other students as he thought himself much stronger than him. The other students told Yin that they did not think that he was fully convinced in the methods of Bhagwajan. Shortly thereafter, Yin was teaching a group of students at his home and called on this other wrestler to assist him in a demonstration. When the student launched a powerful attack at Yin, Yin sidestepped him while grabbing his arm and applying force in the direction of his attack. Yin's strength was so powerful that the attacker was thrown through the closed shutters of a nearby window. (laughs) The wrestler lay on the ground outside the window in a pile of broken sticks that used to be the window shutters. Yin walked outside and helped him up. He said, the skill my teacher is going to use is very hard to anticipate. After this incident, the wrestler became much more modest. Yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) So thrown out the window. uh, You know, a lot of these stories involve someone being thrown through a closed door or closed window shutters. That It's sort of like in a Western when you throw someone through a window and the window breaks. You know, it's like it's clutch. On another occasion, a monk came to compare skills with Yin Fu. He came to where Yin was teaching and jumped up onto a stool, announcing that he was going to demonstrate his skill. So saying, he bent over and stuck one finger on the ground. Then he lifted his legs off the stool, thus demonstrating one finger holding the whole body in the air skill. After the demonstration, the monk said to Yin, what do you think of my gung fu? Yin replied, this is good, but sticking your finger into a man is much harder than sticking it into the ground. This statement angered the monk, and he grabbed a three-section staff that he brought with him. Before he could attack, Yin grabbed the stick off the ground, grabbed a stick off the ground. Every time the monk moved to attack, Yin evaded and whacked the monk's hands with his stick. <laughs> After several such whacks, the monk admitted defeat. One of Yin Fu's specialties was his evasiveness and used to fast footwork. Yep, there it is again. As demonstrated by racing out of the way and smacking him on the hands. Returning to the book about Yin Fu Bagua called A Concise Book of Bagua Palming by Yin Yu Zong from 1932. Uh, The next section's got some interesting stuff. He starts off with some practice advice about uh, Bagua palming walking. Loosen your shoulders and round your back. Extend your forward arm to a natural length. Sink your elbows, straighten your wrists, store power, and wait to issue it. 
Close your knees as you step, as though walking on water, and keep your feet level as they step out, as though they are being blown along by the wind. That's a lot. But man, does that not sound like exactly the same advice we've heard from all the different schools we've looked at so far? Right. I mean, yeah, that's sort of basic uh, body method of Bhagwa, right? You got the rounding the shoulders, the lifting the head. So is that the Han Xiong Babe, the uh, loosen the shoulders and round your back? Sounds that's, like it. Yeah. So you're you're relaxing and opening your upper body. Is well, he's got what I interpret that as. He's got a few, right? First, he's got loosen your shoulders around your back. So that's the sort of let your arms get loose and open your shoulder blades, right? Then he's got extend your forward arm. So then he describes the position essentially, right? Put your forward arm uh, at a natural length and drop your elbows. Uh, straighten your wrist, you know, store power and weight to issue. That That's the idea that you're, you're not like cranking your wrist back and and you know uh closing the joint you're sort of lightly bending it and storing power in it uh, you're not you're not like like a karate say where you're punching over and over with force you're waiting to issue while you walk bagua yeah. walking you're never like striking while you walk you're you're often just holding that posture the the term i use is you the sitting in the wrist there's that little bit of mm. the same way you sit into your hips and that makes you a little heavier there's a thing of kind of letting your wrist open a bit and that gives you this sense of your arm being connected so i think that's what he's talking about with the straightening your wrist that you don't want you don't want the joint of your wrist to be like closed down because if you hit something it'll hurt your wrist right? or so crooked yeah. yeah yeah exactly um, and then, you know, close your knees and step like you're walking on water. Again, that's just sort of don't lock your knees, I think is basically all that's saying. Mm. And then that last one is about keeping the soles of your feet parallel to the ground mm. rather than kind of rolling your foot as you were lifting the heel real high up at point. Or, yeah. yeah. Like doing like a sort of toe, a heel toe step further. Right. So then he's got some more advice. He says, Additionally, your tongue touches the upper palate, thereby nourishing your heart. Your eyes should focus, thereby nourishing your liver. Your mouth should be closed, thereby nourishing your spleen. Breathe through your nose, thereby nourishing your lungs. Your ears do not dis get distracted by random noises, thereby nourishing your kidneys. So there's five element practice right. involved in here as well. Yeah, there's your five element sort of uh, uh, sensory practice too, right? Like the, the, the uh, idea of using your awareness of all these different senses to build your awareness of your body yeah these are the senses so your mouth acts in a certain way you breathe your nose in a certain way your ears and eyes and tongue yeah taste yeah there you go so those are five different senses there. so there, there's there's a frequent thing of a you have a body part that you feel and then that's sort of like your access point to the internal organ right so mm. That's, that's the idea of Gong working with the inner body. You're in the tasting and the breathing of the lungs. That takes place inside your body. Yeah, you're you're it's connecting your uh well, it's all your body, but the sort of outer part of your body right. with the inner part of your body. There's like the parts of your body that can be seen and those that can't, because your tongue touching the roof of your mouth, that's literally nay inner body right. work, right? Right, right. Right. Well, it's not like so. It's not like a deep organ or whatever inside your body, but it's in your mouth, so like your teeth, like it's in your well, body. And it's also the idea of 
by doing these things, you know, you're, you're quote, nourishing the internal organs. So you're just, mm. that's just another way of saying you're making yourself healthy when you do it. Right. Right. But you're also, so when you do this with your eyes, he says to, uh, what did he say? Your eyes should focus. So I guess that means you don't sort of randomly look off. You look through your finger into the distance as most Bhagavad schools do. Yeah. One, one idea with the eyes is like, you want to sort of, relax your eyes and see what's in front of you not bug your eyes out of your mm. head because True. when you bug your eyes out of your head it activates that liver thing and it makes you kind of mm. like a jumpy where if you relax it and sink it it makes you kind of calm and there seems to be a sweet spot in between because like sometimes i'll start walking and i'll start to like look one way look the other look at the ground look you know, like my eyes are kind of distracted i'm just sort of drifting around and so that wouldn't be recommended, nor no. would like bulging out, staring at your yeah. hand, like clenching your teeth, kind of like that wouldn't be recommended either. Right. It's being able to just, like I said, just kind of relax and see what's in front of you and see what's coming at you, not put your mind out there to meet it. Right. The idea right, right. you want to see what's out there and respond to it, but you don't want to be uh jumping ahead of it and trying to like anticipate what's going on before it happens too much. So he extrapolates on this in the next uh, statement here. Um, this is cool. Straightening your neck and hollowing your chest will keep energy from being obstructed. If your head leans forward or back, it will spark tension in your armpits and belly. So that's that sense that the, your chi is moving freely because you're not hunched over and you're not clenching your shoulders up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, essentially the alignment, right? To keep it, yeah. your, your back straight and your chest down. Uh, these, yeah. again, these are sort of all just basic uh, Negong principles applied to Bhagwajang. I mean, so that he's not saying anything particularly. Right. Uh, These could be instructions for some meditative thing, just as much as it could be for Bagua. Right. Or Tai Chi or Xing Yi or any sort of Neigong practice would use all, a lot of these same terms. And, and you know, the, the, I think, again, that's mostly what he's saying is it's just that Bagua is a form of doing these other things as well. Right. And by doing these other things it adds something to your martial art right i mean that that's the uh thing that makes internal martial arts a little bit different than most other activities is that you're doing a physical activity but you're also doing things that aren't physical so you know how do you make the connection between those things and that's what a lot of these things are is sort of half physical half internal things that you're making links between and then that gives you a both physical like for example the thing of keeping your spine straight and dropping your chest is related to the energy dropping into your elixir field because right which is the next statement that he makes if your central you know axis or central channel isn't connected you can't really do that piece of it well, let me just confirm what you said by his next statement. I'm sure. Energy should be sinking to your elixir field. And so your spine must not be reaching out behind you. For if you poke out your chest and reach with your back, energy would get stuck in your chest. And while you move, you would not be able to keep yourself from panting. 
Right. So there it is. You connect, you, you straighten the top, you straighten the bottom, you sink into the Dantian. Right. And that's another one of these classic Nagong things of just that the connection between your breath metal element and your spine also metal element right so you're kind of having again this is kind of the five element practice within the eight triagram practice right mm -hmm. and he's sort of describing how these uh different components of Taoist Negong, you know the elixir field the five elements uh are all inside of what you're doing in Bagua Zhang, even though they're not the main focus necessarily right these are just practice keys yeah. so his next statement is that the functioning of chi is truly not a matter of mere hollow words and here i will give a sense of this bagua palming's major practices for nurturing energy have to be presented in detail when withdrawing your palm inhaling is best when shooting out your palm exhaling is best when moving energy courses through your whole body when storing, energy concentrates at one place. When lifting, energy activates. When releasing, energy disperses. When separating from or joining with the opponent, energy can be concentrated or spread. If there is no energy moving between your muscle and tendons, then there will be no power when your palm strikes. So this is all about chi, basically. Yeah, it's that line about uh, from posture to posture, the internal energy is unbroken, right? That all of these actions... Um, have to keep some kind of connection to this uh, internal thing, right? So whether it's moving your arm out and breathing, right? Or uh, moving your whole body as a way of storing and releasing, like that second one, when moving energy courses through your whole body when mm -hmm. storing, that that's uh wuji and tai chi right? right when you just stand there you concentrate the energy inside right. when you move the energy surging through your whole body kind of. so it's, it's just again kind of like taking these taoist principles and putting sort of folding them into this thing to make it you know kind of a nice little bagua soup uh It's also got a little bit there about in, um, application, right? It's, it's saying, you know, when you're, you're joining and separating and, mm. and connecting to your opponent and all of this stuff. So, again, it's, it's still got that piece about this is a martial art, but it's saying, you know, that that, that is generated by doing these internal practices. And I think, you know, again, this is, doesn't mean that that's the only thing you do. I think that that's where some people... Uh, mistakenly think that if you do one of these things, you don't do the other, and that's mm. that's wrong. You you yeah, have, you're going to need to do it all. Yeah, you, ha you have to do both. It's it's proportions. You know, right. you don't. You could do eighty percent, you know, health and ten percent, you know, martial, right. or you could do ninety percent martial. You know, it it's really up to the practitioner. But the 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 real message here is that it is still based on these principles and right because you can um i think very easily take some of these concepts and just kind of like use them as um baseline instructions right hey keep your head up drop your chest round you know round your shoulders and 
just have that as like a mantra for everything you do, right? Like that, that I'm doing all of those things all the time. Mm. Or you can get like more detailed and you can say, okay, well, I have a specific thing for this one and I have another thing for this one and I have another. So where mm. you do, you know, and that's where you end up having these like longer systems because you're, you're not trying to do all of the things at once. You're trying right. to do it where one, then the next, then the next. And you're breaking out individual elements to work on them and improve them and then bring them back to the mix. Yeah. And it, I think it, um, it, the best analogy is cooking. It's sort of like you have ingredients and um, depending on how much of one or the other you put into it and when you put it into the pot, it's going to, dramatically change what the thing is right just getting this idea that the components are not the movements but they are what allow the movements to do their thing and it and that's a bit of a you know disconnect i think because you right we're used to the idea that the movement is the movement and there's nothing else but the movement and this idea that while you're doing a hand motion, but you also have to be relaxing and sinking into your chest, or you also have to be feeling your spine open and things like that. So it's right. just kind of the duality of the things. The next thing he says is moves on to, to fighting. If you spot a gap to exploit and you attack with your palm, but you have not been able to store any energy, that's no better than missing the opportunity altogether. Training requires that you train your courage, but to train your palms, it is first necessary to nurture your energy in order to be able to use it in the right measure of expending and replenishing so that it never gets used up. And then after a long time, you will be able to deal with situations quite calmly, avoiding the harms of panting and the energy floating up. I like, I mean, what he's saying here is if you're doing it wrong, you're gasping for air and your, your energy is rising up to the point where you're top heavy and you're running out of energy as you fight. He wants you to be calm calculated you find a gap and strike it with tons of force rather than a whole bunch of struggling right and um, that sounds good you know i mean the 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 he's also alluding to that there's a sequence right that you, mm. you first have to train your body and your energy to not collapse essentially mm-hmm. right so that when you hit like the, it's the wong shu jing thing you know it's a horrible thing to hit someone but it's even worse if you hit them and nothing happens mm-hmm. right that that if you're gonna hit somebody you better have everything in your body connected to that thing you're hitting them with especially if you're a little guy like yin fu um because it otherwise it's not gonna do anything and if it doesn't do anything that's worse than not like i mean you know punching somebody in the stomach and them just standing there and clobbering you is way worse than just not (laughs) not hitting them at all right i hate that feeling Uh, so uh, that's a very like practical piece of like Mm -hmm. don't hit something unless you're gonna damage it right and it's Um, a caution of you know bagua techniques are awesome and fascinating and interesting and i've had teachers at times say your technique you're doing too much technique Right. Get back to the the force and the energy and the strength that comes with the technique. Otherwise, the technique won't work, won't do anything when you pull it off. Right. That kind of is the next one about you first have to have, uh, as he puts it, you have to nurture your energy mm. before you can train your courage. Right. You have to control what's happening inside your own body mm. 
before you can rush out into the, you know. I mean, and that's one of the reasons it seems like internal martial arts don't rush into sparring. Like, in other words, there's not sparring every class or whatever. The the main focus is on building up that energy, that stability, that structure, because that's useful to everyone. If you're going to, you can't rush into using it necessarily right off the bat. Now I'd say it's good to start sooner than later, but it's not necessarily the first thing. The courage you're going to need to work on, but first fill up your energy, make it strong. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, there's sort of, it really comes down to fear and that there's two reactions to fear. One is to fold up into a little ball and just, you know, hope for the best. And the other is to attack. And in Bagua, you don't do either of those things, right? The, the, the whole idea is before you try to do something combat-wise, you first have to be able to control your mind and your, and your energy so that you don't freak out. Um, now, some martial arts just tell you to freak out as best you can, you know, go full bore and freak out completely and hope for and then hope for the best. And this is a bit more of this idea of, um, again, it doesn't really serve you that much if you don't, because, you know, you'll end up getting hurt or, you know, and so it's like the, the idea that if you really want to uh, deal with situations without harming yourself and maybe even without harming other people, you've got to control this stuff. And I think when he says energy floating up, that's re- that's referring to rage mm. that, that's the that's the what they say she rising yeah right. getting the, upset the, the fire goes to the devil right um so this whole thing of, of you know yes we're doing a martial art no we're not just freaking out and trying to kill the other person and i think that you know he's saying that there's there's a necessary part of this if you want it to uh be a you know long uh, a long time you know if you want it to get be the most out of it yeah well and if you want it to be something that that you can do for a long time right and and to nourish this thing over years and have some longevity in your practice you you have to develop these things otherwise you might be good for a little while but it's going to burn out pretty fast and you're not going to be you know and this the thing about panting and you know, again, it's just like this idea that you only have so many times you can puff. And mm. if, you, if you're constantly getting yourself to that place of exhaustion, you're using up that, in, <clears throat> that uh, sort of pre-birth energy that you were given. And this is all about developing it and not using it up, but building something else on top of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so, you know, I think that it's a... Uh, you know, how many times does the term nurture and chi come right. up in that sentence, right? I mean, it's right. four or five times. He well, okay, so that, that brings him to his final piece where he describes what you achieve if you do all this. However, the method of nurturing energy also values storing spirit more than gathering energy. When practicing, make your breath natural. Keep your energy at your elixir field. And the five elements of the organs will function in smooth coordination. The more you practice, the more refined this will become. But you must never treat the accumulation of energy as something magical. Be mindful of this. Yeah, I think that's really good. That last piece is because I think sometimes 
there's a tendency for people to feel this stuff and sometimes think that it either makes them special or that it's special. And the truth is, is these are just natural phenomenons that right. exist in the human you know, experience. And, uh, you know, most of what he's talking about here is, you know, straight from the Dallas classics. I mean, the first part is um, th- what we sometimes refer to as one part moves, all parts move, one part stop, all parts stop, right? Mm. This idea that your whole body is unified, right? Mm-hmm. So he's saying once you've nurtured your chi and everything is kind of linked up that through mm. that, you'll have the ability to do uh, whole body movements, right? But that again, you have to nourish this idea, you know, this this stuff, and and it will come slowly but surely. And naturally, I like I like how he differentiates storing spirit and and gathering energy. In other words, don't get greedy and try to get all the chi you can get. It's more important that you kind of preserve and absorb and hold it inside you. What you, if you can only absorb a little bit? That's better than rushing around accumulating a lot of energy and strength. That storing, he seems to think, like accumulating chi is not something that's magical. Right. Don't worry about that. The more you can absorb and refine, that's what's important. Well, and and spirit, I think he's talking there a Mm. little bit about the idea, again, of jing chi shin, right? From from essence to chi to to spirit. Spirit, That you, you have this natural but also controllable progression that happens in human beings where we do this thing of we sort of you know, we, we grow basically. Mm. And, and part of that growth is to move through these phases. And so again, he's saying through this practice, you can enhance that spirit and spirit in this sense is just kind of like a refined sense of your mind. I think, I don't think he's particularly talking, you know, when you say someone has a good spirit, you're not talking Mm. about a ghost that's mystical floating, yeah. right you're talking about something just inside of them that mm. makes them you know kind of sparkle you know? yeah your character your your sense of place in the world too i mean he says it right there your spirit will naturally glow i mean it's like right. how i mean it's a little hippy dippy if you ask me but it's you know it is basically saying you know that like you'll have a a spark to you that mm-hmm. just comes from your insides if you can, yeah you know. i think there's some truth to that i do too well with that I think we've reached the end of this sesh. All right. Until next time. All right, bro. Hey, folks. Uh, just a quick reminder. Check out the Instagram for images to go along with the episodes. Check out the Patreon for uh, exclusive interviews, episodes, and more. Leave us a review on iTunes. Like and subscribe. And most importantly, take care of yourself.